how are you? We're here again with another good, good another uh, episode of our Jordy and Josh podcast. I had a great time last time talking about Atlantis and all of the the '90s music, and I got good feedback on that. What did, did you yeah. hear? Did you? What yeah. did you hear? Me too. And um, it's funny people mentioned Alanis the most, or uh, but I didn't get I didn't get a lot of like Prince and George Michael feedback, which is unfortunate. Maybe Prince and George Michael need to be reintroduced. Maybe they have like left the cultural lexicon and they need to back. <laughs> yeah, somehow we need somebody to do like a cover of one of their songs or something. Like Alanis is still performing, so she's still a little bit out there, but. Right. And maybe that just means that people don't remember the, the good music from our right. era. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of, we're going to be talking about parenting today. I was at the circus with my daughter, and it's a fantastic <laughs> show. They don't do animals anymore. It's just basically human exploitation instead of animal, because they're all like really working hard and doing all these amazing stunts. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, you guys must be practicing for hours to pull off this amazing stuff but the clown in the show all of a sudden as part of he he's entertaining while they're changing the stage and he played careless whisper by George <laughs> michael and i was like oh that song like that the beginning of that careless whisper song it just like automatically takes you to a point in time it's like such such a good song but the clown didn't play alanis the clown knew george michael so, <laughs> so there there you go but yeah. anyway, um, we're here, we're talking about parenting today. So Yeah, we're talking about parenting. We're both parents. And just a beginning disclaimer, we're talking about our perspective as parents. We have spouses, former spouses who are our co-parents and we love them very much, but we're talking from our perspective. So there won't be a lot of, we did this, we do this. There'll be more I <laughs> and me. <laughs> just putting that out there also we're looking for a sponsor so we can do a bougier um studio space and yeah. maybe better audio so yes yeah we're uh anyone who wants to sponsor us we can record in a studio and we can have it on video and audio and um we'll just uh reach a larger audience and uh improve the quality and It'd be super fun. So anybody likes what we do and what we're going to be doing, because we're doing an ongoing series on a whole bunch of topics that we have common interests on. And maybe someday we'll like argue about something. We'll be like, let's talk about some issue. But that's not today. But maybe we will. Who knows? Since the best thing about this is we're just talking. So, um, you know, we are about the same age. I'm a little bit older than you, but we have, you know, we grew up in the 80s, 90s, and we have similar experiences. And I have two kids, you have one kid, and we just thought it'd be really cool to sort of talk about how one wonderful it is to be a parent and how life-changing that is. And just like, I can't even remember life before I was a parent. Like, what did I do with all my time and days? Like, I don't even, I don't understand people without kids and how they like go through their days because everything now is like constantly focused on that. But at the same time, it's tough to be a parent. It's really difficult. And there's so much we learn. And uh, I don't know, Jordy, you want, you want to just talk, start off, talk a little bit about your parenting and what she remember. And we're still parenting, you know, but well, of course. Um, and parenting is a great 
wonderful, incredible experience, but it's something that you should really, really want. Not everybody really wants it. Not everybody should have to do it. And so it's especially, you know, um, poignant that we're talking about parenting today when Roe versus Wade was just overturned and there's a lot more people who are going to be forced into parenting. So again, parenting is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but you have to really want it. So being a good parent is choosing to be a good parent and making sure that people have that choice. <clears throat> anyway, so, um, so yeah, so parenting is good for us to talk about too from a female or you know, mother, father perspective. And because I think we became parents in different ways, I don't know. I mean, um, in different ways in the sense that I didn't expect to get pregnant. I, uh, I wanted to have children eventually and I had just finished graduate school I was uh, 29, I think, um, maybe I was 28. No, I was 28, sorry. Very important. <laughs> and uh, I had plans, you know, I wanted to be a community college professor. I was going to look for jobs and figure out where, um, actually I was gonna finish my PhD and then look for jobs and figure out where I was gonna go in life. And I came back to Santa Barbara for just a sh what I thought was going to be a short period of time to sort of face old demons and figure out things that were still kind of part of my unconscious that were affecting me. And while I was here, I got pregnant, you know, as you do, um, and I decided to keep her. And that was, that's a key point is that I decided to, I made the choice to have my daughter and I'm you know, it's obvious I'm so glad that I did. I think that knowing what I know now about parenting, that my plan, which was to get a job, work, and then have a child would have been so much more difficult than the way that I actually did it, which was to have her. And then I started teaching when she was five months old. So I got my job at City College when she was five months old. Mm -hmm. um, and that was having those months before I was in this professional career. So I had been a librarian before I was a teacher, but um, before I was really focusing on what I thought, this is my career. <clears throat> Having her before that was actually pretty great because otherwise it would have been choosing those first couple of months, which are very, very difficult between like trying to be a good professor and trying to be a present parent and recovering from having a baby a giant baby she was a giant baby <laughs> she came out with like a full head of red hair and uh like could fully move her neck her oh, grandfather okay. said something like uh i think you gave birth to a toddler you know <laughs> she gained she she was when she was seven days old she was 13 pounds holy cow yeah so she was anyway she required what, a lot <laughs> what was her birth weight uh, it was 9.9 .9, or it was almost 10 pounds. Oh. So she was, yeah, she was gigantic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so my becoming a parent for me was sort of like, oh, I'm going to do this later. And then, oh no, I'm going to do it now and making that decision and then figuring out, okay, how am I going to be a parent? Because I had terrible parents and I had read things like, Oh, you're supposed to improve on your parents' parenting by 50%. And I was like, no, I need to improve on my parents' parenting by like 98%. <laughs> so <laughs> how do I do that? And the two things my parents did well are really not things that parents are supposed to do well. That was, they taught me how to drink. I started drinking when I was six. 
Um, and so I learned how to drink and, and basically not get drunk and not become an alcoholic, which I know is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, and then they taught me how to hustle because they were hustlers, are hustlers for sure. Mm -hmm. Those are two things that you're not supposed to necessarily pass down, but those are the two things my parents did. <laughs> so, um, so for me, I was like, well, how do you be a parent? Like, how am I going to be a good parent? So I spent those 40 weeks and it's 40 weeks, not nine months. That's something that people yeah. should know is it's nine months and three weeks. Yeah. And you think, you think that's no big deal until you get to nine months and you're like three more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then i don't know with you but with with um my wife late it was like almost two weeks late you know so it's like even it just goes on and on, and on. right yeah. yeah so 42 weeks for her yeah um, yeah which is a lot you know you've got somebody's foot stuck in your rib cage that entire time mm -hmm. your bladder is gone like they've just pressed it down into a pancake uh, and yeah, I remember looking at myself when I was like, I don't know, 38 weeks pregnant and I couldn't recognize any part of me except my eyeballs. Like I remember looking at myself and seeing my eyes and I was like, oh, look, you're still in there. <laughs> been, like, been swallowed. Um, so, uh, did you gain, did you gain a lot of weight or you were just, yeah, yeah I think I gained 60 pounds. So, um, Six zero. Six zero. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not sixteen. <laughs> I gained sixteen pounds last week. Uh, no, sixty. Um, mm -hmm. And then lost ten of it when I gave birth. <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, so so yeah, I I thought about how to be a parent. I read a lot of different parenting books. I read books on discipline. You know, I wasn't sure like what was the right way to discipline what just in general what to do and I realized like parenting while there's a whole industry there's lots of marketing around books and devices and classes and things that we are supposed to do to get ready for parenting there's really just like three rules that I try to follow now which is to always love my daughter no matter what and I know that seems like, like, duh, it should be, that should be a given, right? But, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to really love them for who they are. It's hard to not project all your own crap onto them or who you think they should be or what you think, you know, raising a daughter, for example, what you think uh, a girl should be. Um, all of it's, it's hard to actually like sit back and say like, no, 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 who are they and how am I going to best support them? That's what really loving them no matter what means is it means figuring out who they are and making sure that who they are is okay and that they're protected and taken care of and in, in in whatever that is um and then never lie to your kids uh that was something i think a doctor told me when i was pregnant mm -hmm. to never lie to your kids and you know that again is hard because a lot of the time we and we're not talking big lies you know like uh Oh, we're moving tomorrow. <laughs> oh no, we're not. <laughs> not like those kinds of lies, but like the little incremental lies that you tell kids just to make things easier. Like somebody dies and you don't want to tell them because you don't want to have to deal with their emotions on top of your emotions. I had a roommate <clears throat> in college who her dad died when she was five and her mom told her uh, he was on vacation. 
and they had like a whole funeral and everything and she didn't find out for years Mm -hmm. that her dad was dead she thought he was on vacation for years Mm, and yeah and then when she found out he was dead um she felt really bad because she had been happy he was on vacation that entire time because people were so nice to her Because they were nice to her because her dad was dead, but she was like, oh, when my dad goes away, people give me presents. I mean, how much would that mess you up for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. So there's big lies like that. And again, her mom probably thought she was doing what was right, when in reality, she was doing what was easier because she had her own emotions to deal with losing her husband. And then, you know, also had to deal with the impact it was going to have on her children there's those big lies but then there's little things like yeah I'm fine when you know you're not fine your kid can tell you're not fine about something you come home from work or something and they're like what's the matter with you and you're like I'm fine (laughs) so what that does to them when the person that the touchstone in their life that's supposed to be like the touchstone to reality what that does to them when they know something is up but you tell them no you're imagining it that's what really messes people up because kids are resilient. You know, people are resilient. They go through all kinds of things. They're, they're refugees. They're, um, there's terrible things that happen to children all over the, the world every day right now. And we overcome it. But when we, when we learn that our own instincts aren't correct, that our own instincts are something that we should question instead of understanding like, oh, that internal voice that tells you the truth is right listen to it but what happens when your parents basically say like no no you're wrong is that you start to question that instinctual you know instinct (laughs) that we're that we're born with and that's i think what really messes people up so loving your kid never lying to them and giving them enough that they do something but not so much that they do nothing Mm. It could be money, but that's also love validation. You know, mm. I mean, I just said you should love them no matter what, but what I mean is like indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give them everything that they want. Um, there's great benefit into overcoming adversity and think of the person you are and what you gain from those experiences. And if you were like born in a Kardashian household or something, like how horrible the person you'd be because everything was sort of just handed to you, not to disparage them, I don't know them. But my point is if you're born into like immense wealth or something like that, you know? Right, yeah. The thing. Um, so you had, uh, you had a child. Did you think about having a second one? And like, so I have two kids and I, they're eight years apart. And so sometimes it feels like, like having one kid because they're in different places in time. Um, They don't compete, you know, they don't wrestle on the ground. They don't fight over toys. There's none of that going on. And there's pros and cons to that. And I'm I'm really happy that, that we had the second one. Um, But I'm wondering, did you, did you think about having another one or what were sort of like your considerations and, you know, how do you think your, your daughter sort of was impacted by being only child? Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I definitely thought about having another baby. Uh, and in fact, I just assumed that I would have, cause I had always imagined having kids, not just child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but by the time she was a week <laughs> old, I was like, oh, I can't do this twice. Like, <laughs> this is a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I pretty early on decided that, you know, again, parenting is difficult. And if you want to do it very well, then you have to give it a lot of energy. And I realized that if I'm going to parent her very well and then have a second child and parent that second child in the same way, uh, I'm going to lose myself, right? But, and, and people might hear that and think, oh, that's so selfish. No, it's not selfish to decide I don't want to bring more people into the world because I don't think that I can give them all the same type of parenting that they deserve. You know, that's the opposite of selfish, right? That's, that's what we should be thinking when we think about parenting or anything, when we think about taking a job, anything. Can I actually do this well and, re and remain the person that became a parent or the person that got hired for this job? So yeah, so pretty early on, I had decided like, uh, this is a lot and I want to do it very well. And um, that means, you know, not having any more kids. And uh, I, you know, I think you, you have as many children as you want to have, as you think you can do well. Um, but there's a real stigma to having one child, the whole only child syndrome, the idea that they're lonely, the idea that they're spoiled because they get everything that they want. I don't know what that is. I mean, that is a, it's a cultural ideology that comes from, I don't know, making sure that women have as many children as they can uh, in order to keep them dependent on a cycle of poverty. Like, I don't know what that is, but I don't find it to be true at all. Um, I don't think that my daughter is more spoiled because she is an only child. I think that if I'd had more children, I would have had to sacrifice things with her. And then I would have felt the need to make that up. So I would have been overly indulgent in some ways um, because I was trying to make up for the, the lack of attention or whatever um, because I'm sharing that with other, with other kids. So yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of stigma to having an only child, but I think that again, you should drown out those voices, what culture tells you to do and figure out what is what is the right thing to do, what feels right, what is what is your capacity and um, and follow that. And if you don't want to have any children, that's the other thing is a lot of people think like, like I, I have a lot of young female students who say like, I don't want to have any children. And I'm like, go with that. People will tell you, oh, you just aren't old enough yet. You just haven't figured it out yet. You will later. No, like don't let people gaslight you. If you don't, if you know you don't want to have children, don't do it to please the rest of the world. Cause mm -hmm. that's not, that's again, that's, that's not a choice, right? Mm -hmm. That's not you actually choosing to be a parent. So why'd you have two kids then? <laughs> well, I, I always wanted to, well, I didn't have any, you know, like being in the delivery room where like, that's the most times in life when I've ever felt like the strongest love for their mom like holy crap like I can't believe that this as evolved as we are as advanced as our technology is the process for giving birth is so random and difficult and painful and just it's I don't it's it, you can't explain it 
and, and right, to watch somebody go through that. But wow, it's amazing. Any woman has two kids. It's just like, I can't, it's, I mean, I don't know what your pregnancy, your delivery was like, but like the first one with her was so hard. It was so difficult. It was so painful and that whole process. And then, you know, my son was in the NICU for eight days afterward. And it was just, you know, he had a respiratory infection and he wouldn't come out. And it was just this huge thing. And it was just like, oh my goodness. But watching that, I'm like, wow, this is like the most selfless thing somebody could do because they're actually bringing another child into the world. So when I say I want, I like, I wanted like a bunch of kids because I always see myself as like older and oh, they're coming to visit and, you know, X, Y, and Z, three or four kids, but I didn't have to have the kids. So it's easy for me to say that because I don't have to like give birth to them. But uh, so we, we, we had uh, Jacob and then um, that was such a hard labor, you know, and then, uh, you know, this is part of like what I want to talk about too, without going too deep is that for for, for me, the first three years are the most stressful on a marriage. It's just so difficult because all of a sudden you go from each other to, at least in my case, like kid, survival, kid, 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 planning, 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 sleeping through the night, um, structure, routines, toys, habits, you know, like all that, your entire life changes. And so that experience was like, you know, well, maybe we're just going to have one kid, kind of thing, you know, and then um, she decided, like, okay, I'm ready to have another one. So, you know, we had another one. And so they're eight years apart. And uh, it's good and bad. Like, it's really good, because like, we have one kid who's going to go to college soon, we don't have to worry about college for the other one for a while. They don't compete. They're not necessarily I mean, they're not like, you know, he's a good helper, reads, spends time, there's no competition. Um, and she really looks up to him. It's not like they have horror stories of having to share a room or something like that. You know, it's sort of, it's a, so there's pros and cons. And I really, you know, what you have is what you love the most, right? Like you make that work and that works, that works for you. I was glad I was able to have a boy and a girl. I, th I think that, um, you know, everyone has their own opinions on this, but in, in my experience, they're very different. Um, and I don't mean traditionally female and traditionally male, but they're, they're, they're different. And, uh, and that's cool. My daughter's a lot more like me in many ways. Uh, I, he's like me in other ways. So it's nice to have them sort of play off of each other, but for me, the parenting is so difficult because I'm one of these parents. Like, if you talk to somebody who was around me during like three to 10 years old, they'd, you'd probably find people who would say, Oh, he's a total helicopter parent. Like, you know, poor Jacob couldn't breathe because this guy was like, Are you okay? What do you need? You know, and, and there's part of me that was like that, you know, but I really felt in my own parenting was that kids really liked structure and um, the ability to depend on you to be the same always. And uh, that was one thing I tried to instill was that we're going to have routines, we're going to have a structure 
and you're always going to know what we're going to do. And that to me is safety, right? Like some, some people, and I've heard that, that that's a, you know, overstructuring, you know, and it's, there's a difference in predictability and safety than there is in militarizing and structure being somebody, you know? And so I really felt that that was, that was super important was just knowing that every time they look at you, they can count on you to be consistent. And mm-hmm. to me, you don't have to be wealthy. You don't, it's like, that's not a class thing. It doesn't matter. That doesn't depend on money. Like you just, if you're always there for your kid when they need you, just them seeing you, you know, like I do in my social media handles, I always say a present dad. And what I mean by that is like, anyone can be a dad (laughs) but to actually like sacrifice to like i'm with my kid right now when i could be doing a million other things when Mm -hmm. you're present that really matters and if it means you have to make less money you do it it means you're not as important socially you do it because there's only one person you know the the people you can have the biggest impact on the world are, are not those people out there it's the people in your home you know, it's your children. And so that's what I try to, you know, that being said, as we know, it's super hard, you know, it's just, you make all kinds of mistakes, and you have all, all sorts of, all sorts of regrets, you know. Yeah, well, and with the tradition and, um, and, uh, well, so I, one of the things that I had read and kind of heard about parenting before I became a parent was traditions are very important. So tradition and, and that kind of goes with stability. I think it's part of the same psyche is, is uh, having something that you can depend on or you know is sort of always there, always present. And so when I read that about traditions being an important part of stabilizing and forming a, a child who was psychologically sound and I thought well how do I do that because you know what is what is tradition like I'm I'm not gonna suddenly throw up a Christmas tree which I've never done and um and join this idea of of like the regular sort of holidays that we're supposed to follow because it feels very disingenuous to me so how do I create traditions that are genuine to me so that she can see again that kind of goes back to the idea of not lying to your kid telling them that you're doing this tradition because you believe that it's correct um and also making sure that you implement something that's that's stable that's that's regular uh so that they can so that they have that psychological benefit um so i i i started doing certain things like like having dinner together. And I know that that's sounds basic, like you're supposed to have dinner with people, but actually having dinner with your kids and making sure that they know that they have a stable dinner time, which again, for a lot of people are like, uh, yeah, you're supposed to provide dinner for your children. But that wasn't always true for me. You know, having like food in the house was not actually a given. So, so little things because of the way that I grew up, making sure that there were things that she would always know were were there, and kind of forming that into a tradition or a regular uh, a regular part of her daily life. Um, the availability of food, the availability of 
of my attention of certain things that would make her feel secure in routine mm -hmm. and then incorporating some religious and or around you know like so her her um her dad's family is catholic i mean they're not really practicing catholic but they're culturally catholic so joining them on christmas eve christmas eve is a big thing for catholics rather than christmas day um her grandfather making a bondegas uh another like traditional mexican catholic christmas eve dinner things mm -hmm. making sure that i was always there even after me and her dad weren't together anymore which that extended idea of family not being based on necessarily bloodlines or based on marital status or relationship status but like shoving myself in even if it made people uncomfortable so that my daughter didn't compartmentalize part parts of her life you know um being like oh i'm with my dad's family this is my dad's tradition i'm with my mom family and this is her tradition but making sure that she always had that <clears throat> fluidity so that that again like that's part of that regular sort of stable she can always depend on this so she can always depend on her parents talking to each other uh she can always depend on her grandparents and her parents talking like across right <laughs> like me talking to her dad's parents and stuff like that um and making sure that everybody is included in anything that she's included in and so creating stability and tradition in, in that way yeah. right um, and so for me, even though Christmas isn't my thing, uh, participating in those Christmas traditions with her dad's family is something I can get behind because it is something they believe in, right? So finding a way to like get into uh, things that were traditionally religious or traditionally part of some sort of cultural ideology that I didn't necessarily get, being part of something that means something to somebody else can be as genuine as as it means to you yeah yeah so you know i was wondering while you're talking how much did you have to work to separate your own experience as a child growing up from how you parented um i there definitely were times when i would be doing something with my kids and then remembering when I was that age and thinking of how this thing was happening with me. And for me, it was always easy. Like, I just would be like, I'm going to do the opposite. Like, I, I, this is easy. I know what not to do. And so whatever I do is going to be better than what was. But I know some people kind of get caught up in that trauma of I can't do anything. I don't want to mock. I shouldn't do it that way. <laughs> but some people get caught up in that. Uh, they can't escape how they were treated and therefore can't turn the page or can't figure out a way to leave that behind while you parent. And so you see cycles repeated. And of course, we always even just subconsciously carry on little behaviors that we have that we probably aware of, but we're going to pass on to our kids. But how were you able to sort of reset and start fresh and sort of know like i'm not gonna give my daughter vodka you know like how are you able to do that vodka. oh tequila, <laughs> yeah. tequila whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah 
My parents were rum drinkers. Oh, rum, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but it was beer and wine for me. Anyway, um, <laughs> just, just beer and wine when you're six. Oh. Don't get crazy. Gotta build up to it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so uh, there's lots of, so when, one thing is like, I get really uncomfortable when I yell. Um, and I don't think I yell that often. Also, if you ask my daughter, she might be like, who are you fooling? <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> but I get really uncomfortable when I yell because when I feel like out of control of my emotions, and it's funny because throughout my life, people have kind of criticized me for being like too buttoned up or too like uptight or, you know. Guarded. Yeah, guarded. Um, but then when I get emotional, I get very uncomfortable because it just reminds me of like the erratic, violent, terrible behavior of my parents growing up and the feeling of complete you know, lack of control and safety and that I, uh, that I grew up in a house until I was 15 where there was no, you know, like no safe feeling, like it was not a safe place to be. Um, and uh, so when I hear myself yelling or like getting upset, it brings all that trauma back. And then I'm terrified that I'm gonna, you know, replicate, create that, that kind of situation for my daughter. And it was really hard, especially in the beginning of her life. And I would talk to her dad about it a lot and, and say like, you know, I got upset or, um, I mean, it's hard being, a parent and my daughter has always been very, very attached to me, which is great. Um, but it meant I was constantly with her. So whether she was like really, really cranky or like needed to sleep or I, I mean, I was like, if I needed to do the dishes, like she was in a baby Bjorn while I was doing the dishes or doing the laundry. So you like you can't help but get emotional sometimes. And then I would feel like so terrible because I feel like I was I was creating this trauma for her and her dad would be like, no, you know, she needs to see you have a range of emotions and you're not your parents, you know, you're not beating her up. You're not, uh, you're not hurting her. You're not physically hurting her. You're, but she's understanding that you have boundaries. She's understanding that things will upset people and that if you act in a certain way, people might retaliate, they might be affected by that. And so I try to keep that in my head. I still try to keep that in my head when, when I feel like bad about a reaction or something, because I still feel that. And the other thing I would always hear and still kind of hear in my head is just my mom, <laughs> you know, so I'd be talking to my daughter or doing something with my daughter when she was a baby or uh, through, she's 15 now. So like through her life, and I would just hear my mom like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, would be like the, the voice in my head, this is wrong. Um, that's what my mom sounds like. Really? Uh, <laughs> and so learning how to like quiet that voice, be like, what are you talking about? You don't know, <laughs> you don't know how to parent, get the hell out of my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that, that trauma, you know, it affects you in different ways. It follows you in different ways. So um, so you, you try to reason it out and, and think like, why am I having this emotion? Why am I scared of, of reacting? Is it actually good for her to see me react in different ways? Or am I, you know, scaring her and traumatizing her? Uh, 
yeah, so that definitely follows you and you try to figure and you know that's why I read a lot about discipline too because I was like well how do you discipline because mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that uh what I grew up with was not discipline but I'm pretty sure that people need discipline mm -hmm. and um you know I learned that discipline I mean I don't know I, I still don't actually know what that is mm -hmm. um <laughs> I know that you kind of work around what like the the situation that's happening like when when Ruby was young, um, she would get really, really tired. You know, she needed to nap. Like napping was a very important part of her daily life. And so she'd start acting out and, but she didn't want to go to sleep. And so like, what is, what is the reaction here? Like, do I put her in timeout because she's like, you know, swinging the cat around by its tail and she's not supposed to be doing that. Or so I, I figured out different ways, like timeout didn't work very well with her. And I had read that instead of timeout, like actually creating, like actually like holding your kid, some kids do better with the separation and then they calm down. But with my daughter, it was like grabbing her and squeezing her. I mean, not like hard, but like, <laughs> let me show you how the cat feels. You know, <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like grabbing her and like holding her close and that actually worked and would calm her down. And, um, yeah. So I think, again, like reading your child and figuring out what actually works with them and, yeah. and figuring out the, the, the discipline or the, the structure or the boundaries that are, that are actually going to work for your child rather than just be a cookie cutter solution. When this happens, you should do this. Well, not necessarily. It depends on the person, it depends on the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I was never you? big on consequences or punishment and just like I never really see that working of let's do a timeout or I'm going to take this away from you um my kids aren't like that I mean people know my like they're they're good kids they so I've never really when they're not doing something you know the biggest conflict is sort of like getting out of the house to go somewhere you know like like transitions are always the toughest and what I found is just uh very less of me works like like when they notice oh Josh is he's now just standing there and he's not really engaging he's just waiting that's kind of their nonverbal cue like oh he means business <laughs> like just sort of changing that tempo of the interaction at least in my case often works but I mean I and I'm just kind of intuitive if, if a kid's enjoying something like the last thing I want to do is like don't enjoy it like it's sort of like let's agree on a time in the next 15 minutes and then we're going to stop you know and then we're going to move on but again like, I think that goes to just that predictability and structure but my kids don't break things I mean just I just don't have those kind of kids but I want to talk to you a little bit about the the, the other side of parenting which is once you become a parent all this other new stuff this whole world opens up to you and you start becoming aware of where you buy stuff for babies and baby clothes and toys and you become you have this network of other parents now and so you're no longer talking about you you're talking about you in the context of your kids and I always say that you know kids bring out the best in parents and the worst in parents because I don't know about you but I'm definitely one of these people who is a judger you know I sort of feel like 
wow, I can't believe you parent your kid that way. And most of the time you're just quiet about it because if you're not, people think you're a jerk and, you know, they're like, well, mind your own business, you know, but every now and then you're just like, what's going on here kind of thing. But I just, I, I know that when I coach my kid in a lot of things, you know, my son, and so you're around kids all the time. You see the whole gamut of it, but what did, what did you enjoy or what do you enjoy about that sort of part of parenting? The, do you like that social networking that comes with, I don't, I, like, I always volunteered. So I was always like hanging out with a bunch of moms, you know, and, and, and even a little bit today, although during the pandemic, we couldn't really volunteer. It's such a weird culture, you know, what, yeah. what do you think of all that? Yeah, well, um, that was one of the reasons I didn't want to have another kid is because <laughs> other kids parents like uh, really like when I've thought about because you know the first year um of Ruby's life I was like no way but then you know you get a couple of years a couple years of space and you're like well but and then I would think about oh but you're gonna have to talk to people's parents again and like <laughs> it's, it's terrible like it really is terrible and you know it's different from a male and female perspective um men are given dads are given a lot of leeway and i'm not saying that 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 doesn't mean that there aren't great wonderful incredible fathers that invest so much in their children they do of course but i'm saying that you're given a lot more credit for it um you know you show up and pick up your kid from school and it's like oh my oh what a, oh i wish you know yeah. i had a right um whereas like i don't show up and pick up my kid once and it's, oh, well, I guess your career is just that much more important than your child, right? So, um, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot more expectation that as a mother, you're going to always be volunteering in the classroom, always be the one to drop off and pick up your kid, um, always be ready to bring a freaking snack or whatever, geez, like I didn't even have food in my house growing up and we constantly giving these kids snacks all the time, you know, like, like <laughs> take a beat. Sometimes it's not always important that they have 10 juice boxes after they finish a sporting event or whatever. Anyway, um, those watermelon slices, the cantaloupe, it's really orange cool. slices. Yeah. Like scurvy is important. It's important to keep scurvy away, but at the same time, like chill for a second, if they don't have them there, at exactly the time the game starts you know it's not even like not having them there it's like oh, the game's already started and you didn't bring the orange slices you know like well they're running around aren't they like they're still alive aren't they <laughs> um so uh i always that being said i always uh volunteered in my daughter's classrooms uh and like she again is super attached to me and i'm very attached to her as well it's two-way street. But like when she started kindergarten, when she was in elementary school, especially she wanted me there and I wanted to be there, but I didn't want to be there organizing. There's a, there's like a real like alpha and there's a real like power structure to like the moms. And it's generally moms and like maybe one dad who are kind of in charge of the structure of like, who's going to do what and how they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you have to get along with that alpha mom at the top and 
make sure that she like, and you don't always like her, you know, it's like, why am I trying to get you? It's like junior high again. Why am I trying to get you to like me so much when like, I can't stand you. And I don't think the way that you're raising your kids is very good. And like, and I think your husband's a drunk. So, you know, <laughs> wait, were we hanging out in the same places? <laughs> I think that's the story at every single elementary school is it's yeah. the same thing. There's um, some UCSB graduate who married their, their, boyfriend in college and uh, now they have like like what belongs on top of a wedding cake of a family um and uh they kind of like play out the same role but anyway mm -hmm. so I didn't want to do that stuff I didn't want to interact with other parents I wanted to interact with the kids I wanted to be in the classroom and so I would volunteer especially with math which was great like for years and years and years um I would do math with kids while they were supposed to be doing math uh, I was terrible at math when I was their age, when I was in elementary school. I think I left elementary school not knowing what a fraction really was <laughs> or a what a decimal point really meant. Um, and I think that what that's one of the things that can make you a great teacher is when you struggled with something, you understand that struggle so you can explain it that much better. Mm -hmm. So I, I would do things like that, um, like be in the classroom, work with students with math, uh with reading yes but like more and more so with math and i did that like every year until she left elementary school and then when she left elementary school we started her in this funky school she's in now which is like a half in-person half homeschool school and uh, that's worked really well for her as well but there's no you know room for volunteering there but the passive aggression of other but it's really like moms other moms yeah. like i remember in her third grade class and i was in her third grade class all the time and her third grade teacher was wonderful uh, mr ojeda at adams just mm -hmm. like a fantastic incredible teacher one of those teachers you know that you that like gets a like this whole generation growing up who went to Adams, that'll be like the teacher that they point back to and say like, oh, and Mr. Ojeda, right? Like, <laughs> um, but I would, I would like do math with kids in that class every week um, and do other things because Mr. Ojeda let me, right? Work with those, those kids. But I was then recruited by, you know, one of the kind of like moms in charge, um, to show up for some ice cream social something at the end of the year mm -hmm. and volunteer with that. And I was like, sure. But you know, I was at work before that. I was, I think I was at a union meeting or like a union negotiating meeting. I was like negotiating the contract, you know, for a thousand people. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna get there about 15 minutes late. And I get there and it's 15 minutes late and all the kids have ice cream and everything. And the mom's like, well, I'm glad you showed up. That's literally what she said to me. Well, I'm glad you showed up. I was like, lady, I show up all the freaking time just because I didn't get here right when the ice cream had to be given out. And again, with the snacks, you know, like calm down. Um, yeah, so other parents is one of the reasons that I didn't want to have more kids and the way that we're <laughs> the way that we're forced to interact with other parents and forced to get along with them just because we had sex with and chose to have cho sex with <laughs> just because we had sex and chose to <laughs> I don't know did you go did your kid go to that kind of elementary school where everybody had like a key party afterwards no we weren't yeah. having a giant parent orgy after that's not what I meant to say um 
just because we had sex around the same time, chose to have a child around the same time, yeah. like we're supposed to be best friends. No, I didn't, I don't think so. And yeah, and and I think that me being me and being like a like a I don't know if people judge me for having tattoos, <laughs> but they might. <laughs> but being like that kind of a mom who uh who doesn't conform to what a mom is supposed to look like or act like. I think that was always something that sort of outed me or kind of put me on the outside and opened me up to a little bit more criticism because it's like a, you know, it's like a, like any animalistic tendency, like you kind of peck the different one. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, no. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And a lot of what you said resonates with like my experience too, is that my son went to a private school for K through six. And um, I just have this thing where like, I know I, some people might think like, oh God, you're such a phony, but like, I just, it's so important to spend time with your kids. And, and so I was always volunteering and um just lunch programs and anytime I could overdoing it. I'm sure, you know, the people get sick of seeing me and that kind of thing, but um, yeah, you know, the moms are always like, Oh, but you know, like they're always so supportive of that, but there's a different kind of judgment that comes up among the dads, which is what are you doing here? Like, why are you doing that? Like, why aren't you working? Like, why aren't you making $300,000 a year? You know, like what, why aren't you an engineer? Why aren't you an investment banker? You know, why aren't you doing something where you're out working and let, let the moms raise the kid, like let them, they, they like this stuff, you know, they're, they enjoy it, you know, and there's a different kind of judgment. It's, it's like a, like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be, be, why can't you give your spouse the kind of life we do, which is you know, they don't have to work or they can work part-time or they can do this because we're working so hard. And it's a whole different kind of judgment because then you start to think like, well, wait a minute, maybe I should be working like eight to seven every day in LA and just letting them do it all and show up for the good times, you know? But my whole thing is that, yes, I'm broke. I mean, I'm not broke. I have more money than most of the world does, like, you know, relatively speaking, but not more money than most of the people in Santa Barbara and Montecito and Goleta, you know? And so, but that doesn't matter. What matters is the, the presence of being there, hanging out, pickups, drop-offs, doing stuff afterward. Those things are what kids are going to remember. And I think that there's a different kind of judgment that comes with that, but I don't really mind it because I know that these, my kids are going to grow up knowing like, well, yeah, somebody else's dad, they have a really big house and nice car and all that stuff, but they weren't there for me in these little moments, like at the games or just not even at the games, just like at home together talking like that's super important you can't make all of that up on the weekend sort of thing right. so it's a different kind of judgment that that happens there and it's I just like I believe that's like investment in your kid like I, I I could go out there and tell everyone else how to live their lives 
it's not really that important to me but what's more important to me is to spend time with people in your house and hope that they become good people like you have a much greater rate of return on that than going around and saying you this you that but yeah the parenting is like the the the, the relationships that exist you know and then, and then you go through these phases like for a year or two you're all like hooked up together and then have a little argument about something and then all of a sudden like oh i guess they're gone you know and then it's sort of this this natural cycle that that happens you know so it's that whole thing is really really interesting and having a second child i think about all the things we did with the first the play dates like can we go get together we need to socialize them and we need to make sure they're having fun and then what it became was like the parents are this is they're using like we're using the kid as like a social outing these kids don't even like each other that much anymore and like when that happens it's like definitely time to to cut the cord what do you what do you 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 said your kid go ruby goes to a what you i know i at one point i regret it called it something <laughs> i'll repeat but um weird school <laughs> weird school yeah okay well that's how yeah, anyway but what like grading expectations um do you put a lot of value on that um i know with me i don't look at megan my elementary school's report card like I don't, oh, I, I don't care because okay. I know what's up. Well, yeah, they shouldn't be getting a report card in, yeah. you know, third, fourth grade. Like you shouldn't be getting a report card with like all the work that you've done over a year boiled down to one letter. I mean, that's not the lesson that children should be learning that we go to school for an entire year. Um, and that all comes down to just one letter of like, good job or not so good job or <laughs> come on, <laughs> you got to read. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't, I don't, even now, like as a college professor, I don't like boiling down their grade to one, like all the work that they do over the semester, the ups and downs, the vulnerability, the, the hopefully like points of understanding boils down to like B plus. Um, and that's what's on their transcripts for the rest of their life. Uh, I think it's a very, you know, limited and, and I understand the need for it. Like I, under, I understand all that, that the need for like, having a transcript and being able to figure out if this person can move on to the next level or whatever but um at the same time it's like what what are we really like what is the goal here yeah. and what what are we teaching you is the goal when it all just boils down to like one letter at the end of end of a year end of a semester so yeah i i um grading like i don't remember what ruby's grades were when she was in elementary school I remember that she has a freaking phenomenal ability to do math, which I'm so jealous of because like I said, I struggled with math so much and you need math no matter what you do in life, um, you're gonna need math at some point. So her ability to just like get stuff is just amazing. <laughs> it's what happens when your mom doesn't smoke multiple packs of cigarettes a day when she's pregnant or... <laughs> uh um <laughs> or drinks heavily uh so watching her do well and excel at different things but then you know she's never really liked reading and so getting her to learn how to read like actually like get to a proficient level because by the time she was in 
third grade. She was kind of like her math would be above grade, but her her reading was like at the you know, barely like at her grade. Mm -hmm. So I spent all this time when she was in third grade, um, making her read out loud to me, which was so painful, <laughs> so painful, like a half an hour every day, I would make her read out loud to me. Um, and it was just like, it was real love right there, listening to that for you. But by the time, by the end of third grade, she was like above her grade level, right? So, and you know, now I don't make her read, she's 15. I can't really make her do much of anything, but uh, I don't make her read. She doesn't enjoy reading still, but she likes listening to books and she listens to them on her phone. And I think that's because me and her dad read to her every night for like until she was like 12. Um, and so I'm good with that. You know, I'm not going to force her to sit down and read for half an hour every day if that's not what she likes. I want her to enjoy what she enjoys and excel at what she excels at and so encouraging that in the way that it's possible is good so yeah so my approach to like her learning was um the things that she's kind of come naturally to her great and the things that don't make sure that she's proficient make sure she understands the importance of like okay you have to know how to read like you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to like read every day and be like super into uh whatever but you know you got you got to know how to read to get through life um making sure that she's there and then after that she can either go with it or not go with it um but i don't see any value in like pressuring or pushing making sure that like oh all your grades are a's mm -hmm. and and you, now and all her grades by the way are a's now yeah. um but uh but if they weren't then i wouldn't be disappointed i wouldn't be unhappy mm -hmm. and in fact i think still the best students are b plus a minus students you know, those are the students who are putting the work in, but they're clearly thinking about things to a degree where they're maybe thinking about them beyond or in a different way than their instructor is. So when I see students today in my classes or students Ruby's age or whatever, who are getting like B plus A minuses and they're like, oh, I wish I'd gotten, you know, an A or something like that. And I'm like, no, you were thinking about the material. And just because you didn't think about it in the exact same way that I taught it, that's not the goal the goal isn't that you just replicate everything that i think and i'm putting out in the classroom or that your teacher is putting out in the classroom the goal is that you are thinking you're learning how to think and yeah so i i don't put a lot of weight on grades but she is a very good student and that's wonderful <laughs> yeah they it, at uh, my daughter's school they do numbers like one to three and it's like it, it's done in a way where it's like a three is the highest and but a three is like meets grade you know and the other thing is down so they try to make it like as less sort of um, competitive as possible but I just don't really care because if I saw like a two or one I would get really upset I know and I'd be like what are you what are you talking about so I don't really it doesn't it doesn't matter to me and even with my son in high school like I know you're smart and if you fluctuate i don't care like it doesn't matter to me because i don't like i don't know what your thoughts are on this but one of the reasons my son was in a private school was because i didn't want to put him in a public school and all of the problems that come with that with it comes to just the education level system socially uh just having to worry about are they going to be okay and the private school was smaller and it was real safe and when you're paying 
thousands and thousands of dollars for your kids to go there, your um, you have access to the teachers and the staff and they're responsive to you and all of that. And so I really was concerned about those things growing up and like, were they going to be able to, to be sort of safe and secure and all of that. And there's definitely some benefit to that sort of small classes. Like I, this, some years Jacob had 11 students in his class and those it was great because he got so much attention and they had an assistant, but I'm really weird on this and that. I mean, I cover education. People are going to be like, oh, well, that's why he's so weird. No, uh, but like, I just don't understand our system. I don't understand why we have a system where we take our kids and we drop them off or they take the bus or they walk or they bike or every way you get there and they're there all day and then you go work. And then what's supposed to happen from three to five and six when people mostly work till that time? Like how do, how, how, how do people do that? Like, I've always just picked them up. I'm like, I gotta go. Let's um, do after school or grandparents or, or just sort of like, so in other words, our society structured so that most of their time fight and it's because of financial reasons is with other people. Mm -hmm. And like, I never wanted to be a homeschool parent because of the stigma of that. And, 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 like, well, they need to, they're going to be weird, you know? And I, I, I say, I've grown from this. I'm talking, honestly, no one judge me, please. Like, this is what was in my head. And what's in my head is okay. I'm explaining what I was thinking at the time. It's like, well, my kid needs to socialize. And I don't want them to be sort of just by themselves all the time. And as we know, homeschooling has evolved so, so much so. And it's not that at all anymore. But I don't understand why we have to like, I mean, I don't know if you dealt with this with your school, but drop off like for preschool, kindergarten, it's horrible. It's hell when they cry and you have to like turn around mm -hmm. and they're like the best, you know, the, the nursery's preschool is like the best way to do this is just turn around and go. I'm like, why yeah. would I ever do that? Like, okay. shut up, stop. Yeah. I am not going to leave until she stops crying. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not gonna, and they're like, well, you're making it worse. And I'm like, this is not my fault here, you know, but that whole system is so odd. Like, I wish there was some way we could, we could like raise our kids in our home and have funding to do it and figure out a way so we don't have to be apart for hours and hours and hours. And that becomes the norm. But uh, I mean, you've kind of, kind of figured that out a little bit with your hybrid school, I guess. Yeah. Well, and with, um, one thing our society does really well is commodify everything. And so commodifying childcare, commodifying even, you know, family life, like all of that is, and, and what you were saying earlier about the expectation as a father to make money and that your role, your role as a man in society is to make money. Um, that's what, so, so my role as, uh, um, as a woman is to do like a million different things, but your role is one thing which is to make money and so like we could look at both of those things not in a comparison but in the way that women are expected to be like all these different different things but when your one role is to make money and you don't make that much money you're a failure as as a as a man um thank you I, I, <laughs> just <kidding>. so just <laughs> live with that 
<laughs> no, that's that's what our culture tells people. That's what our society tells people is that that that's a failure, yeah. and we know that that's not true. Like there's there's that messaging that we've internalized um, from culture, but we also know that that's not correct. We know that that like there's many 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 things that men should be as well as women. Mm-hmm. So when other dads might criticize you or kind of look at you in like a critical way that's their own insecurity right that's their own insecurity of saying like well i'm not prioritizing my child i'm prioritizing making money and it doesn't matter if i'm making that money by like stomping on puppies it doesn't matter that (laughs) right it doesn't matter how i'm making that money is my point i could be doing terrible things to make that money but if my role is to make money and i'm not making money then i'm a failure and and like so you've internalized that idea but you also know that it doesn't feel true when you're walking around looking at your children and and wishing like do I want to spend more time with them do I want to put in this work because then when they're older they're teenagers they're in their 20s they're adults and you don't you didn't put in that work you didn't put in that time what do you think your relationship is going to be like you expect to have this great close relationship with them as teenagers and as adults because like, oh, now they're older and I can hang with them and and we can talk about real things, but you're not going to be able to talk about those real things or have like a loose, good time, (laughs) loose, good time, (laughs) have like a, you know, a relaxed, good, easy time. If you didn't put in the hard work early on to form a relationship where you're vulnerable enough to have that loose, free, fun time, right? So when you talk about how other dads look at you as like a failure because you don't make that much money and like you're around your kids and you know let's be honest there's there's the question of why are men around kids like do they have some sort of evil you know pedophile intention uh why are they at this elementary school they're not supposed to be here um that's that's insecurity speaking and that's those people losing out on what's going to be like the long-term benefit of not just your child feeling secure today but the relationship that you're going to have with them much later. Um, and uh, what was the thing that you just asked me? Because I know that's not what I was answering. <laughs> you just asked me something about, uh, what was that? Uh, well, I was just asking about like this educational system and why isn't there funding for us to oh. teach our kids at home? Or why do we have to just sh- take them away and then pick them up at later in the day? And oh, right. such a, I mean, it's a big picture. It's a status thing, but the commodity is wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like yeah. everything costs money in preschool. And by the way, I never went to preschool and like, it's so embarrassing because all this research comes out and, you know, it's like, children didn't go to preschool you know like right. don't cheat. I'm like well you duh but we didn't have any money to go to preschool you know like right. like I spent time with like god knows who I, I don't even know I, I mean I think I blocked out much of those years I don't know where I was but right. I didn't go to preschool the first time I went to kindergarten was the first time I was ever away from like I mean kindergarten was the first time I ever went to like school you know, or any kind of preschool setting or like daycare or something. It was always like taken care of by people, family or not. And it's just backwards. It's just wrong. And you wonder like, why are some people here and some people are there? They're like, well, there's the resources for these people to be successful and not. And why is it backwards? But yeah, anyway, I was just wondering like, why do we do it this way? <laughs> like, you know, well, you're, you're, you know. 
there's no money long-term in you staying home and not participating in the economy, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we commodify parenting because there's money in commodifying parenting. There's not money in subsidizing you staying home with your kid for five years, which in, in the long run would be much better and much better for the next generation that takes over the economy. Um, but in the short term, it means money lost in the GDP every year. And so we create this whole culture around it that guilts us into making enough money and tells us that like, oh, our kids have to be participating in a certain type of school and they have to be participating in this in like, they have to be constantly socialized when, you know, in reality, they're going to be socialized no matter if they're around people their age or people, their parents' age or whatever, like socialization is socialization. It's being around a diverse group of people. Um, homeschooling, my daughter, like there's the criticism that I've heard multiple times, which is, oh, but the social aspect and, you know, she's around other kids. And I even feel like compelled to tell people when they ask me what school she goes to, I start out with, oh, but don't worry, you know, I'm homeschooling her. Don't worry, she's like around these other kids two days a week and they're all freaking weirdos like she is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's see what they're like when they're adults. I think they're going to be more interesting than the kids who are like forced into conforming at junior high or high school or whatever. But um, <clears throat> that's another story. But um, but yeah, I, I, um, I automatically like start with she is socialized, she is around kids her age because that's the criticism of homeschooling, which is you're, you're depriving your child. And how long has this system of going to school till you're 18 been around? 150 years, and it's not even around in most of the world. So this idea that we have to be socialized, that we have to go to junior high and high school and learn to hate ourselves and learn that like we're not, that, that like we should be thinner and taller and have bigger lips and bigger boobs and like no, body hair except we should have long mermaid hair flowing out of our head but like zero body hair elsewhere <laughs> that we that you see a drop off of especially uh girls starting in junior high from science and math that before junior high boys and girls are on or i should say all children are on par with um with math and science but females in junior high and high school start to dip and drop. And I think a big reason, it's not even, I think research has shown that a big reason is because the focus on socialization and what a girl is supposed to be and how she's supposed to be presentable and pretty and attractive to, and that doesn't mean attractive, it means attractive to a certain cultural ideology. Um, all of that sort of becomes the priority. And so you see all of this talent, all of this, this possible, uh, talent of these girls turning into women who could be these fantastic scientists, doctors who figure out the cure for cancer, figure out the cure for HIV, for COVID. Um, all of that is wasted because of this forced socialization that we think is supposed to be the priority in their life over actual education. I mean, think about that. Like we're essentially saying like, oh, the way that they're socialized and forced to be around their peers is more important than their actual education and the education that they're getting. Because, you know, my daughter is not lacking an education. She might be lacking in learning to hate herself and learning to, you know, shave every part of her body, but she is um, not lacking in education and she's not lacking in confidence. And the goal is to raise a person who 
is not lacking in education, not lacking in confidence. When I found out I was having a girl, which by the way, the ultrasound technician didn't actually ask me if I wanted to know. They just said like, I don't know if that happens in movies or in television only, where they're like, what do you want to know? And they're like, mm, I don't know, I think so. Uh, no, he just said, oh, it looks like a girl. I was like, oh, great. I didn't actually want to know that, but thank you. Um, so as soon as I found out I was having a girl, I was like, oh, man, it's going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I started thinking like, what's going to happen when she goes through puberty? How am I going to protect her from all the, all the different cultural, human, everything that's going to tell her to hate herself and that she's not good enough? How am I going to protect her from that? Um, and, uh, so this was my solution. My solution was to make sure that the culture that impacted her the most, that she was around the most was me and her family, not people that just happened to be her age. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think we do things the way that we do because we get into cultural norms that, <clears throat> that favor a tiny minority of the population. And the rest of us are trying to conform and fit into a box in order to keep that system of hegemony going. And uh, anytime you you deviate from it a little bit, it's like, but you're messing up your child. It's like, maybe you're messing up your child. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, as we know, as teachers, um, you know, we there's all kinds of people we meet at 18, 19, and they're very different. There's no... Uh, like there's no perfect way to raise a kid and these people who raised it by the book and were super sort of take took care of everything for them we know that doesn't work for everybody so to suggest that something alternative is a bad thing um is is not is not true either um i just really feel like it's, you kind of have to get through it somehow and do the best job you can and try not to mess them up <laughs> because uh and I, I know that sounds really like i think part of that too is though people people think messing up involves like overt violence or abuse but messing them up can be what they see and what they see is what they're going to model you know and if they see the you know the constant wine drinking or the mood swings or things parents checking out and unpredictability or just not being home or like these things are things that affect them as much as you know how someone would say oh you homeschool your parents like well actually no one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, attachment parenting and sleep schedules because when we originally were talking about we used to do a podcast on parenting um, that was what came to my mind and I'm sort of like interested because um, I think we're both uh, attachment parents in that um, I was never the type and people judge me all the time like in our social circles but like our kids never slept like put them down went to sleep woke up like it just never happened uh until they got older and uh you know now we can do it but this idea of putting them in the room and you know five minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes and then eventually they fall asleep and they stop crying um never appealed to me and in fact I sort of like how could you do that that is just a horrible parenting 
But then if you look at the science or some books or, you know, depending on what science, there's research, I should say, that says, well, that's how they'll learn to cope and they'll learn to self-soothe. And if not, you're going to be sleeping with your kids, other, you know, whatever age, and you're not going to get any sleep. And I'm like, well, is that a bad thing? I mean, is it a bad thing to have a big bed and just kind of everybody finds their spot and they go to sleep and everyone feels snug? <laughs> I, I mean, so... I mean, can, do you want to talk about that? Like, what was your sort of role and how you did that with, with your daughter? Yeah, my, um, that's, that's how I parented was through the attachment parenting mm -hmm. philosophy or whatever. I'd read about it when I was pregnant and, you know, attachment parenting is exactly what it sounds like. You're attached to your child. So like wearing her instead of like, I didn't have a stroller for her until she was basically too heavy for me to wear. Um, and, uh, sleeping, co-sleeping. And, and there's all, you know, my, her pediatrician right, was like, oh, they can't sleep in the same bed unless you take all the sheets off and you just sleep on like a bare mattress. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what I'm going to do then. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that you're going to roll over in your kid or, or whatever. Like I'm not a heavy sleeper. So there was never a worry that I was going to roll over on her. And, and also she's always been giant. So that was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but uh but yeah so from the beginning I was like this this is the way that that they learn to trust you know that they learn how to trust in humans is that when they cry they're responded to rather than you know seeing children as manipulative a lot of people kind of see children as manipulative that's why they that's why you know maybe the preschool teacher told you that staying around because your kid was crying was just making it worse um that happened to me too where like my daughter I'd drop her off at preschool to go teach summer school or whatever and um and she'd cry and I'd stay with her until she stopped crying and it would be like no no they just forget about you as soon as you leave like it's a manipulation mm -hmm. but it's you know it's not it's it's her transitioning to a new place feeling anxious about it and I'm not going to just be like, well, suck it up, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, the, the, the philosophy of attachment parenting is to respond to your child so that they learn trust. They learn how to trust you and trust the world and trust their decision-making and trust their instincts and all that good stuff that makes them a confident and strong person. And, um, and I remember explaining that to uh, her grandparents, to her, her dad's parents, uh, when I was pregnant and they were just like, you know, had like kind of passive aggressive criticisms of it. Like, uh, well, you're going to change your mind when you have a baby. You know, that's, that's a lot of it. It's like, oh yeah, you can go into parenting with all this philosophy, but uh, you're going to change your mind as soon as you become a parent. But, um, but no, I, I uh, kept her strapped to me for the beginning of her life. I kept her sleeping with me for a lot longer than the beginning of her life until basically she moved out of the bed um, when she was they, ready to do that, that's, they, and by the way, they, they do it on their own. Like, it's not exactly. like some weird thing. Like there comes a time when, and they're just like, I'm good. And it's like, perfect. Like, I don't know people who judge think they're staying there the rest of their life. Like, it's just like, I know I'm on my own bed now and they do. And it's fine. You know, it's right. Yeah, exactly. And, and then so, sometimes they, you know, they, they will come back and be like, or like, you know, with they'll say, you know, ask my wife, like, I want you to sleep with me and she'll sleep with her. And it's like, that's just normal. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, why is it, 
don't know, we get into the whole philosophy of like how we qualify, like sleeping with spouses is okay. So like sleeping with another adult is okay, but your child sleeping with you is for some reason going to destroy their psyche and their, <laughs> their ability to be independent. Like, why is it okay to share, to co-sleep with some people and not co-sleep with other people? And, um, and, and again, I'm sure people are like, well, this is why it's okay. Yeah, there are good reasons and bad reasons to do everything, but think them through beyond just, oh, that's weird. That's not what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, think it through to like, again, like, what is the goal? Is the goal to, to make sure that my child is comfortable or is the goal to uh, do something that makes me look like a good parent based on what good parenting is supposed to be? So attachment, I was all about attachment. I was all about um, having her close to me and I still am. And she is, you know, really people keep telling me and have told me since she was a baby that there's going to be a point where she hates me and she's, you know, she's trying to get away from me and, um, and that that's normal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> um, it hasn't happened yet. And uh, I'm not sure that it would happen because of that time that we put in with attachment parenting. I'm not sure that she's going to end up just completely like rebelling against me. And really like, how is she going to rebel against me? She's going to become like a conservative Republican. Like that's the way she could rebel against me. There's not a lot of room for rebellion, but, but yeah. So um, I was all about attachment parenting and again, criticism for it, but you know, people criticize what makes them insecure because they, they're not, they're questioning whether they should be doing it. And it's easier to question somebody else than it is to question yourself sometimes. She could be worse. She could become a libertarian, not care about anything but herself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, it's funny, people too, with the whole attachment parenting, don't understand that even having the conversation is a privilege because like a bed is a privilege. I mean, when I grew up, I slept on the couch or a mattress on the floor like yeah. not having the frame and the whole box and bed and all of that box um, spring box spring fold out couch floor uh pop top of a vw van <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so to, like people come at it from well you need to have this certain standard it's like well you know the first time i ever bought a bed was when we got after we got married like you know before that it was just whatever was around and available right. which is why today i can sleep anywhere i fall asleep on the floor the cat like I, I don't need like luxury you know like it's just right. it's, i fall asleep right here in this chair probably <laughs> um so i don't know it's just it's sort of a weird thing but i always did struggle as a parent with a, a sleep schedule because what it would mean was um just having to <clears throat> I was never able to we were never able to put them down and have them just fall asleep and so it meant sort of like waking up every couple hours and this and that sort of thing one of the good things though was I developed this sort of sixth sense was like twice literally out of sleep waking up and catching my children about to fall off the bed <laughs> like it's weird like you develop this in, this parental intuition of you are sleeping but you're actually 
I don't know if that's like a primitive thing, but like, like evolution, you're actually totally aware of everything going on with your child. They're not going to suffocate. Like, you know, exactly where they're at and you kind of wake up. And, and so the only times they've ever fallen out of bed is when they've been sleeping by themselves. <laughs> like that's the only time, you know, it's like, Oh, what happened? We better go check on them sort of thing, you know? So, so I don't know. Um, it, I remember falling asleep, like you, you lay them down, they finally fall asleep. Then you lay them down and you're just like, I'm not moving from this position. I'm just going to stay here for two hours as long as I need to, even if I have no circulation in my arm, because they're finally asleep. And then slowly kind of ease up. I don't know, you know, it's just, you just figure it out, you know, you make, you make it work. So I don't know if other parents are lying, but like these parents you meet, like, what are you talking about? Set them down, they slept, they're fine. Like, I know. I, that definitely was not my experience. That was the other thing is that, like, if I had tried to put her in a different bed in a different room, and again, like you said, that's a luxury to have a different bed and a different room, um, that she would have just been very upset. And, <laughs> you know, and um, I mean, she wouldn't, there was a time when she wouldn't even sleep if I put her down in the bed next to me. There was a time where, like, she literally, like, was, like, on, on top of, like, like here, you know, and, um, and that's how she would sleep. And that was awful for me, but, <laughs> but she slept like, that's what she was like when she was a baby. And that's how she felt comfortable. And that's how she felt safe. And again, parenting is something that's very hard and you make the choice to parent the right way. That means that it's going to be hard sometimes, but um, again, like the goal in the long run is to create a person who's confident and, and capable and uh and following your instincts on parenting is the i think one of the ways that we grow capable people is following that instinct of like well it doesn't feel right to like let her cry until she exhausts herself and realizes oh nobody's coming because that's the thing is people are like oh they'll they'll stop crying because they'll fall asleep and they'll they'll uh, realize that they're just trying to manipulate you, you know, like a baby. Um, when in reality, they stop crying because they realize like nobody's answering me. Like, nobody's coming to help me. Like that's a very sad realization to have when you're six months old. Right. <laughs> you should wait till at least 27 to realize <laughs> that nobody's out there to take care of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You should wait till you're older to fill up, figure out how cruel the world is. Yeah. Um, what do you do? And we should we have a few more minutes here but what do you monitor like television uh movies does your daughter do you go to the movies and watch whatever's on do you stay away from tv um how do you how do you navigate that because like my approach is very much like we'll watch anything you know she, she'll know right away whether it's she likes it or not and i mean i'm not going to put on some horror movie but you know if it's a cartoon or if it's like a just you know, an interesting movie, cooking show. Like I don't spend a whole lot of time with with language. Like even with songs, like playing songs in the car, and you know, we had a conversation about the F word, and like what does that mean? And it's like, oh, but you shouldn't really say it. And she's like, oh, you know, it's like that's you know, you'd say it when you're older. Here's the right. We had that whole conversation about the F word. But do you? take any of that into consideration in terms of their their media and how they consume it no um <laughs> no i i don't i uh 
she watches, you know, whatever. I mean, again, she's 15 now, but, uh, and it's funny how we think like we're going to limit them on what they're going to see on television. They have the internet, you know, they have a whole pocket porn studio in their, in their, like in their phone. So we think that we're not going to let them watch South Park and they're not going to see like the grossest porn anybody's ever seen by just clicking something when they're alone in the bathroom with their phone. So one thing is kind of waking up to the reality of what's out there and what's available. It's not like back in the day when you stole your friend's brother's, you know, hustler or playboy that was behind their bed. And that was like the only exposure you had. Um, so, I could have, uh, yeah, I, so, I know. Sorry, go ahead. I'll tell my story later. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so one thing is waking up to the reality of what's available to them. And, uh, and for me, it's more like um, they're going like this stuff is out there. So they should know that <clears throat> they can talk to you and ask you about it. Right. So like if I kept her from, <clears throat> excuse me, from watching something and essentially turned it into like, no, 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 you know, that's taboo. I mean, the human psyche just says like, okay, now I really want to know for one, like that's just basic psychology is like, well, you're keeping it away from me. So I got to know. And they're not going to ask you about it. You know, they're not going to ask you about the reality of like, does this really happen? Or like, is that real life? Or, and you can say in, and especially like, um, I mean, I know you started talking about television and I kind of turned it into porn, but especially with like porn on <laughs> the internet, I mean, that stuff is not real. It's not real sex. It's not real intimacy. It's not real, you know, it's, it's not real human connection. So if they don't have the ability to say like, I just saw some funky stuff, you know, <laughs> like does that happen. And you can say like, no, no, like this, this isn't reality or, or, or if you don't want that to be reality, it shouldn't be reality or whatever. Like, so that for me, it's always been open, open the door to whatever so that you can then talk about it and, and they can, they can kind of understand your perspective and understand. And yeah, so I've always, I've never really limited her on what she's going to watch, what she'll. You don't have the you never had the parental controls on the iPad or the computer or anything like that. Yeah. I don't even know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. How 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 about you? No, um, I just assume that that would self-regulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my kids, like if they decided to look. You know, well, I have two kids, they're a different age, but my older, I mean, he'd probably, you know, if somebody sent something to him or he checked it out, he'd probably look at it and then move on with stuff. He probably would have no interest, you know, it's just how he is. With my daughter, it's more like, are we watching the right kind of shows? Uh, what is she watching? Um, is she, like, like, when I grew up, I would watch uh, Bugs Bunny like looney tunes cartoons you know and like i put those on for her and they're really violent you know with like yosemite sam is literally shooting bugs in the face you know and he survives every time and hunting you know and i'm like i can't believe but like i never saw this that i just thought it's like this is funny like they're chasing yeah. each other you never saw it as violence you know uh, but then after, when you have a kid, you have to think about it. Like, am I teaching her that it's okay to shoot people by letting her watch this cartoon? You know, and, you know, and so, but 
what I found with my daughter is that she really likes complex storylines with like cartoons, which means older, like stuff that maybe not be appropriate for a five, six, seven year old. You know, she likes stuff where there's conflict and layers and, a, a, you know, some sort of hero and a resolution and it's ongoing. And that's not Bugs Bunny, you know? So there's mm-hmm. definitely, I, so I don't pay a lot of attention to that kind of stuff unless there's, something horrible like supernatural stuff i kind of like probably don't want to watch that if there's going to be a demon or a devil presence or something like that like that's kind of not going to happen but uh, we watched uh, the multiverse the spider-man movie and it was like really complicated i don't know if you've seen it and it was really layered and it was had lots of violence but she really liked it it was really good and i was like i need to watch this again because i'm not sure i understood it the first time and she's like let me explain it to you it's like, okay. you know so those those minds you know but it's just interesting that these are things that you have to think about that you don't think about when you don't have children yeah well for me the thing i thought about was commercials so i didn't want her exposed to commercials so um I never had, I've never had cable television around her. Uh, And, and, you know, she's born in the age of streaming, streaming became bigger and bigger, but like when she was born, it was, it was DVDs and, um, but I didn't want her exposed to commercials because I saw that as the beginning of uh, body dysmorphia, the beginning of, you know, her learning that she wasn't perfect in her imperfections. You know what I mean? Like, that um, that it promoted a marketing consumer ideology of what it meant to be feminine or female or a child or whatever. So for me, that's what I always tried to keep her away from. Now, because social media has developed in her lifetime and become a thing in her lifetime, um, it's harder and harder to keep her away from that kind of stuff. Like she's on Instagram and uh, she follows good accounts. And like when she first got on Instagram, I like really laid out, okay, you know, if somebody that you don't know tries to follow you, like absolutely not, you know, you're not making friends this way. This is not, this is not a way for you to, to like reach out to people and some random freaking Russian bot becomes your friends. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, and I kind of like look at what she's following and stuff and she follows good things. She doesn't follow uh, kind of vapid ideas of what it means to be a person um, or shallow uh, and, and, and like one thing that you learn as a parent is that you can want to protect them from lots of things. Like I never wanted to sexualize every relationship. I find that from an early age, you know, a boy and a girl, there'll be babies and people will be like, oh, they're boyfriend, girlfriend. You know, it's like, no, I never wanted to do that because I didn't want to automatically turn every opposite sex relationship into like a potential romantic relationship, no matter their age. But I remember somebody doing that when she was like seven months old with their son and and her. And they're like, oh, it's his first girlfriends. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't control everything (laughs) people say to her all the time. So the best thing I can do is not not do those things, but also kind of like point out to her no matter what age when I see something that is promoting body dysmorphia or promoting like sexualizing every male, female, female relationship or promoting something that is ultimately going to have like a negative limiting um effect on her is that i'll point it out and be like oh what do you think about 
how that happened or like I, I noticed that somebody was watching keeping up with the Kardashians on my Hulu account the other day and I was like oh great so, so I talked to her about it I was like hey you're watching keeping up with the Kardashians she's like no you know my, like her dad is oh, and you know, so I pointed out I was like I was like you know that's like we talked about basically like what like why those people are famous, what that show is about, like what it's promoting, that it's not actually, it's reality television, but it's not actually reality because it's not, it's still like a performance. And um, and so, yeah, so, so with content, with movies and stuff, I've never been like, no, no, you can't watch that. There's violence in it or there's sex in it, but I've always tried to go about like, okay, limiting like how much commercial marketing she's exposed to. And then when she is exposed to those things, talking about it and being like, what do you think about it? And basically like promoting critical thinking around it. Like, yeah. what does that mean when you see that? What does that mean when, you know, you, you, yeah. Yeah, so that's been my approach. It's worked okay so far, I think. Yeah, I never seen an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, by the way. Although I don't need to because every time I'm on, you know, the internet, there's Kim Kardashian's story but that's another podcast. Okay. Um, we should probably wrap up, but I think this has been really cool to talk to you about all this, all this stuff and hear your, your perspectives and my perspectives. And Yeah. And, and speaking, you have to go to safety town graduation, right? That's Yeah. Speaking yeah. of it's at 1130. And um, of course, every parent will be there to watch the counselors in training say nice things about their kid but um yeah so i got to do that and i have enough time to to get there and um yeah so anyway it's really cool and so what do we got coming up jordy what are our next what's our next topic we give our our listeners and our viewers a little bit of a a tease um do we want to commit yet to what we're talking about or i don't know do you have any ideas about what our next topic should be well, I, I know one of the things I was want to talk about was uh, community colleges and the importance of them and uh, why they matter and why we don't need to be telling our kids it's like a, a bad thing to go to a community college or like you couldn't get into somewhere else or like we need to sort of flip that whole paradigm on its head because that's just like ridiculous. Talk about being a teacher, you know, and you were an adjunct for a long time. I'm still an adjunct and what that means and how adjuncts are treated and just what it's like to be a teacher at City College. I think that's, you know, really cool um, a topic, but I think we could talk about relationships. We can talk about like what it's like to be in our age and the new things that come up in life and how we deal with that and work and jobs. And I mean, there's a bazillion sort of things we can, we can talk about. Oh, I know the one we want to talk about, which is your great idea which is um, so cool was language. Like, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the idea that we put so much focus on language and we judge, I mean, not you and I don't because we're not like that, but <laughs> I mean, there's so much focus on what's wrong with what people say and the David Chappelle controversy. I think we wanted to talk about that, like how a lot of the critics never not watched what he said. And so what does that mean and even i see it in my job as a journalist people just look at the headline and the comment on social media and i swear i just want to tell people right now if you're not going to read the story don't do not comment on social media about a story don't do it based on the headline because you're just ignorant <laughs> but yeah. i think like so 
we don't use the white word to describe something. Don't judge at me. Like we're, we're, we're talk. it's okay to talk out loud. It's okay to misspeak. It's okay to do these things. So I think that's gonna be a good podcast for us to talk about. Okay, yeah. that can be our next one, language. Yeah. And yeah, and all, all that goes into that. And keeping in mind that like, we make all the words up. Like they're all 100% made up. Um, yeah, and what that means. Yeah, I think that's good. That's what we'll yeah. do next time. All right. Jordy and Josh talk about talking. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to sponsor. There's someone out there who wants to hear us talk, I know. So, all right. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye.